For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, robotics, business, and more. My name is Aaron Goff, owner of Goff Custom Knives, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Frank, from the Frank Brothers Guitar Company. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. It's been a busy day. Excellent. That's a good thing. Good, good kind of busy? Yeah, I was... Um, today, I was actually filming a video in the shop, which was nice, um, about how to make heat treatment envelopes for for knife makers oh yeah just some tin foil right yeah exactly just get aluminum foil from the uh from the you know grocery store and then you're good to go no don't don't do that <laughs> uh it's funny though because i i kind of thought maybe that that was actually the case this is what, this <laughs> what it looks like yeah oh it's actually like a um, stainless steel foil it's oh it's, is it okay yeah it's about the same thickness i think as aluminum foil maybe a little bit thicker but um it's a lot stiffer it's a lot stronger nice yeah well that makes sense mm-hmm. aluminum so foil is yeah. not that strong nope and it aluminum foil will like oxidize burn true um, yes yeah uh you might you might hear some clinking behind me that that's my very cute three-legged puppy uh was crying because she couldn't be in the room with me and now that she is in the room with me she is noisily chomping her bone <laughs> it's great. Well, she deserves it. <laughs> yes, she works very hard. <laughs> how about you, mate? How how are things at the shop? Good. Yeah, we've been kind of humming. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's uh, it's been a good month for orders so far. Well, that's good. We've been shipping lots of guitars. Also nice. Um, yeah, we kind of hit a stride. That's it's nice. Yeah, and then and then you know I think I mentioned this in the, maybe the last of previous podcast that we've been working on sort of shop improvements yeah uh so that's been going well nice do you think that's like changed the morale in the company because yeah things are changing time. yeah yeah that's it's good. the the space looks way better with that daily cleanup has made a huge difference in like the, the cleanliness of the shop and right. i think that's had having an effect on everybody right it's just nice like i'm looking around and the shop is clean we do a 15 and it clean up at the end of every day and it's miles better than it was. It makes a big difference, doesn't it? When you're just like, oh, everything's getting put back where it should be. And, and yeah. Yeah. People, I think people, we were sort of letting people, um, letting like the guys here design their own workspace mm. and they're getting into it. Nice. Um, and one of the guys here has sort of like taken on sort of the lead in, uh, in like fabricating the like things for people's benches. Right. So like, uh, you know, paper towel roll holder. Right. Shut like that. A little shelf here for something. Nice. So that, that's, that's been good. And then, yeah, we've just been kind of cruising. Awesome. Which is good. Is, um, so Nick's brother, Tim was out recently on paternity leave. Is he still, is he still out or? No, he's back. 
He took oh, two wow. weeks off. Um, yeah, I think Charlie's like a month old already. So, <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah, time flies. I know it's nuts. Um, so, I sent yeah, Tim. Back. I know Tim listens to this podcast. Tim, I sent you a message and you never responded to it. You piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow, called out. Yeah, you know, personal message via podcast. It's the only way I can get in touch with him. <laughs> Call me, <laughs> please. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, so you're you're back at full strength and everything's rolling along. Yes. Uh, yeah, it feels like it. And but Tim has not been working late. Right. That which is completely reasonable. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, it is. But we've actually been talking a lot about just getting it down to one late night a week. And then yeah. trying to get get rid of the late nights in general. Yeah. I think it's a very good good idea. It's been a long time. Yeah. So that's uh, that's a new goal for us. Nice. And it'd be nice. Like this week, I, this is I'm working late tonight, but um, I didn't. I haven't worked late every any other day this week, which is unusual. You know, my wife's schedule. I think I mentioned this. She's she's a nurse, so some some days she's working, some nights she's working. So I, I don't right. don't have the same structure. Right. Um, yeah, and like weekends, you know, kind of not available for me either. And uh, I have a new another baby on the way. Oh wow! Congratulations, dude! Thank you. In August. Wow. God. You yes. guys are you're you're serious. You're a real adults over there. I'm still a big kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, I could adopt you. Oh, that'd be sweet. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> it's daddy oh sorry uh that's, uh that's awesome mate congratulations uh thank you uh yeah we're excited and well um, i hope so yeah <laughs> trying out thinking about names it's a girl but i'm thinking aaron mm-hmm, mm-hmm. perfect you know? yeah or tilly <laughs> tilly tilly is my puppy's name for those that aren't aware <laughs> awesome mate um, yeah, thanks. So that, you know, is all to say, I'm not going to have as much time anymore. Yeah. So got to yeah, get you know, efficient. I, yeah. I also, I think that building your business around counting on the idea of late nights is just a really bad idea. You know, we all know it has to happen, particularly in the early stages of bootstrapping, but like, yeah, doing that long term, it's just a bad idea. Yeah. I think we haven't. We just have always done it and it just feels right. It feels wrong yeah. to not be working all the time. Yeah. And maybe we just need to cut ourselves a little bit of slack. Um, also, we need to grow this team a little bit more mm-hmm. and and grow our volume, just become more efficient. You know, like the it used to be a thing like we this we used to never clean the shop. Yeah. Because yeah. it was just Tim and I. Yep. You know, and there's no time for that because you're doing everything. Right. So that's one of the things that just falls to the wayside. But when everybody's kind of got a little roll, like 2,500 square feet becomes a little smaller. Yeah. split between, uh, how many people here? Five people. Yeah, a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. So does Tilly come to the shop with you? No, she's scared of loud noises and traffic and all sorts of things. So I don't think it would be a very fun time for her. Mm. She's scared of cardboard boxes i don't think she's gonna no. do well in a shop full of uh, cnc <laughs> machinery yeah true okay so not a shop dog probably dog. not yeah when i when i build a shop uh 
or get a shop. I One of the things I really want to do is have like a quiet office space. So she'll probably hang out in the quiet office space. Um, but my girlfriend works remote too. So, you know, she'll probably split her time between us or something. Yeah. Nice. Um, how is the, uh, house hunt coming? Well, I mean, not, it's not really happening. We're, we're kind of like keeping an eye on what's in the market, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I have to get my software job first, um, which good news on that front. I did actually get an offer last week. Um, one shot, one kill buddy. Wow, so the place that you one company and yeah, wow, you got an offer. Congratulations! Yeah. So, thank you. Um, <laughs> the problem is, I had also this process had taken so long. It was it was over ten hours of interviews. I think eight, mm-hmm. eight, eight, nine, something like that, over the course of like a month. Um, so it had taken so long. I really wasn't sure where I stood. I was like, eh, I don't know. You know, do they like me? Do they not? I have no idea. So I actually started interviewing with the second company uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. So now I'm trying to, they're kind of dragging their feet a bit though. I think they're just a bit disorganized. So I'm trying to decide, you know, do I just accept the first offer, which is very reasonable and, and the place seems like a, a great company. Or yeah, do you I, seemed excited about it. Yeah. So I, I don't know. They're, they're being very chill with giving me the time I need to decide. So fantastic. Um, yeah. So, so when, getting, when are you going to make a decision? Oh, it has to be within the next week. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's exciting. We'll have an update for you yep. in two weeks. Yeah. Exactly. So, and then yeah, the the household's re- the house hunt is really on hold until I'm past my probation on whatever job I go into, um, because then I'll be able to get a mortgage with like the full force of that that salary, as opposed mm-hmm. to, um, you know, <laughs> my 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 gentle salary that I have <laughs> now from my from my small business. Um, right. So yeah, we'll we'll see. It's uh, it's goals are getting closer, you know. Step in the right direction. That's progress, yeah. baby. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it, yeah, it was it's very flattering to get an offer from this company because they're very uh, picky. I think so. It was nice. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. But yeah, apart from that, um, well, I I sent you some photos last week of uh, the progress on that quench press that I was yes. working on. I'm so sad I wasn't involved in this. <laughs> Actually, had your, you had your chance. Yeah, I got um, fucking COVID. Oh, I know. Yes, and we had to cancel our machining hangout. Yeah. But yeah, it's it, it's coming along really nicely. I um I do unfortunately regret the choice that I made to um shop out the sheet metal work to oh, no. that supplier. They're, they're, the they've been very good about it. Yeah, the stainless. They've been very good about it. Looks like I'm going to get my money back, but I got it. Uh, back from them and all of the bends were the wrong radius oh and um, is that gonna affect what that that affects the like it just uh, means it won't fit together it doesn't fit oh, together I you see. know because it's like an, an enclosure the tolerance is pretty tight um so like the front piece of the enclosure rather than being 4.125 inches wide is like four and three eighths oh. wide. you know so how like a quarter of an up? inch is a big difference. Well, so they just have a press break set up. I guess they only have like limited tooling. Um, they're used to, I guess, just working for people that are just like, oh, I just want this sheet with a bend in it, you know? So if they didn't even tell me like, oh, we can't bend to this radius. But then when I said like, this radius isn't right, they were like, oh yeah, we can't really control that. I was like, guys, Why? But they looked at your drawing, right? Yeah. Yeah. They sort of saved themselves the money of just not doing the job. But um 
Yeah, so I'm not exactly sure what the outcome of that's going to be because I don't know. Trying to find a sheet metal shop that's going to do just like a onesie twosie thing feels like it's going to be painful. Can you redesign it to fit that radius? Um, possibly, but they said they can't control exactly what the radius is. So I, I mean, oh, it looks what? pretty. Yeah, I don't know anything about that process, but that seems a bit crazy. I think they're just working with old equipment and relatively untrained people and so on, you know, so. Uh, Can you machine it at a solid aluminum? (laughs) I could, yes, but that feels like uh, an unnecessary level of overkill. Hmm. Granted, this whole project is already kind of an unnecessary level of overkill, but. You 3D print it. Oh, I hadn't thought about doing that. It, maybe. I I think it would be kind of nasty to do it that way because then opening it up for, like, um, to do the assembly and stuff is kind of... It seems like the wrong solution. Uh, It wasn't really serious. I think it's the wrong solution, yeah. Yeah, that's a stupid Mm -hmm. idea, Nick. Mm -hmm. I know, but you took it seriously, which kind of made you look foolish. Oh, damn it. Yeah, so like the whole thing's coming along nice. Uh, it seems to work well, which is fantastic. I haven't um, done the like f- installed the gaskets and and done the coolant flow and all that kind of stuff yet, but uh, I will. And I'm I'm it videotaping all of this. Of crazy. Course. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's actually one of the more complicated things that I've made, which is kind of fun. So it, it's really smashy. It's very smashy. Yes, yes, it closes in a hurry, and that's. So one thing I was thinking about with this is whether I could make it into a product because there are tons of other people that would love something. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, The problem is, though, whenever you're making something that is a press, you have to worry about safety. You know, so my initial dead man's switch or something. Yeah, they call it an anti tie down two hand control. So it basically means that you you have to push both the buttons at the same time. If you just push one of them and then the other, it doesn't work. If you like tie one of them down and then press the other one, it doesn't work. Um, my my initial approach was actually just to make the the opening in the press too small to get your fingers in, so it's only it only opens three eighths of an inch wide, which is as much as you need. Um, but it turns out that the getting the steel back out is kind of a pain in the ass when you only have such a small gap. Um, yeah, so I might have to redesign it to have a larger gap. And then if I wanted to sell it, I would have to go like with a full, you know, two hand anti tie down control and all that kind of shit. So yeah, but that's, what's the big deal about that? I mean, it just add cost. Sure. That's that's the issue. But I mean, this thing's already going to be pricey as hell. So is it what's pricey as hell though? Um, I think it's getting close to like $450 just in materials. True. So you gotta basically, if you want to make any margin on that. But you could, I mean, if you could make it more efficiently, like you could construct it more efficiently, build it more efficiently. Maybe one thing you could do is to make it less complicated. Eh, I was going to say sell parts, <laughs> just sell the parts and make it a kit. Yeah. Yeah. That is one way around it because then everybody is just taking responsibility for their own safety. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it also means that I wouldn't, you know, some of the parts are from the States. And so I'd be like shipping them here. Uh, and then shipping them back to customers that are probably going to be in the States. So right. yes, just having them buy the parts direct would potentially be a, a good way. Yeah. To go. You sell the machined parts and then give them a list of things they can buy from McMaster. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a great idea. I mean, 
I, there's a lot of people out there making knives as a hobby who'd probably not want to have to make that thing themselves. Or just can't. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, it, there's a bunch of parts in this that kind of require a CNC machine. Um, yeah, I, well, you, I'm sure they could make a shitty version that's just hand operated. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. So this would be a nice alternative. Yep. I like yep. it. I think it's a great idea. I'll take the first one. <laughs> what are you going to use it for? Squish stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I'll start a YouTube channel. Squishing stuff. <laughs> Those seem to be popular. Yes, they do. Yeah. And I'll audio record it. Oh, AS- an ASMR. ASMR squishing. Yeah. I like it. Get millions of view- <laughs> views. <laughs> Love it. Um, but yeah, so working on that, it's, it's kind of, it's slow, but it's going to come together, you know, so that, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some testing today with the, the heat treat stuff, as I said, and, and did the, the filming of that. And yeah. Apart from that, like, honestly, it's just been kind of business as usual, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's sick. I did have, um, seeing as, you know, this show is partly about robots. I had a very surreal experience the other day with a telephone call. Oh. Um, I got a telephone call from someone asking me if I'd like to make a donation to the, like, Canadian Society for the Blind, or it was, you know, something along those lines. And it literally took me more than five minutes to verify that this wasn't a person that I was speaking to at all. And did you only do that because you suspected that? Did you only follow like continue? No, it, it took it took me it took me at least thirty seconds to start suspecting it, and then yeah, I continued with the call because I was like, I need to work out is this a a person or not? You know. Mm-hmm. So how did you do that? Did you ask them skill testing questions or something? I did, and they and the script of the the robot was very cleverly set up to avoid those. <laughs> like What's it, your they literally. Color? Like, yeah yeah exactly i was asking stuff like oh you know what's the minimum donation and they were like oh it's like 20 dollars." and i was like okay but can i donate half of that how much would that be because <laughs> i really wasn't sure even i like i i was like i think this is a robot but all of the responses are like really really good like i'm just talking naturally the robot is like letting me interrupt and then giving me the answer to the question that i ask like it was like in the uncanny valley, like I really wasn't able to be a hundred percent sure that it was a robot. Um, wow, sounds like yeah. you struck up a sort of meaningful relationship with this <laughs> with this with this telephone robot. Yeah, and in the end, the only reason that I was able to, you know, really tell that it was a robot was because I was able to get it to start answering questions, kind of on on rapid fire. You know, like it would cut itself off and start answering in the exact same tone of voice again to a different question. You know, like it, it was freaky. You know, it's not going to be you don't need much more improvement over that before we just can't tell at all. Yeah, true. So that that's pretty cool, though. Like that's that's cool for you. A lot of other people, I think, find that shit terrifying. But yeah. Why do you find it terrifying? I'm not saying I find it terrifying. I ignore all those calls anyways. <laughs> I just think it's really interesting because I think that there's so much of human time wasted on bullshit that doesn't matter. And I would love to see what happens. Obviously, there's going to be um, a, a, you know, a lot of social issues around this. But I would love to see what happens when that stuff goes away, when that bullshit gets automated away. 
Right. Um, you know, because like how many people are working in terrible shit jobs that drain them that would otherwise be like poets or painters or, you know, something interesting rather mm-hmm. than, you know, sitting in a call center calling 3,000 people a day trying to get them to, you know, have your ducks cleaned or something. Oh, yeah. That is a rough job. I worked at a call center and it was not super fun. Yeah. Yeah. I can 100% imagine. And I just feel s- super bad for these people that are just getting hung up on or sworn at all day, you know, like, yeah, bad times. Mm-hmm. I always try to be very nice to those people that call. Just... <laughs> me too. <laughs> That's part of the reason why working out whether this thing was a robot took so long. Because <laughs> I was trying not to be like, you're, you're a fucking robot. Are you a robot. Yeah. Are you a robot? I actually did ask that. I said, could you please tell me whether you're a robot or not? And immediately it was, I can assure you I'm a real person. I just no. have to read off a script to make sure that my answers are all of equal quality. What? It lied? It lied to me about not being Are, a robot. Now I'm not so sure, though. No, it was a robot, 100%. But it wow, wasn't. I cannot believe it lied to you. Who who had hired this robot? Was it like the CNIB? Um, something like that. It was, it was that some Canadian not... blindness foundation. I do not charity. think that that's uh, cool that they were not upfront about that if, if directly asked. I think that that's sketchy. Right. Uh, yeah, I guess so. It, it's, it was interesting because it wasn't, um, they weren't using voice synthesis, right? Like it wasn't like text to speech. They were definitely using audio clips of a real person that had been recorded. And then that was set up in like a big tree. You know, there's probably like a couple of hundred audio clips in this in this decision tree. And then the computer was deciding which branch to go down based on like natural language understanding and, and you know, some level of AI probably, deep right. learning. So, so if yeah. a robot is making like 900 calls a day or something like that, what would a third of that be? What would a th- what 300? Am I a robot? Is that what you're trying to find out? <laughs> yeah, I was trying to find that. <laughs> yeah, so that, that what we're what we're inherently doing by trying to find out is called a Turing test. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yeah, that. like Alan Turing. Yeah, so the idea was that if you make a robot that can talk with you using natural language at a high enough level that you can't tell it's a robot anymore, then you pass the Turing test. Um and there have actually been competitions around the idea of building chatbots to pass a Turing test for a very yes, long time. I've heard of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, in my early programming career as a kid, I actually entered one in the States. Uh, I got an honorable oh, cool. mention because I'm pretty sure my shit didn't work and everyone else had a PhD. So <laughs> <laughs> Good for you for trying. Yeah. You, you did not pass the Turing test, though. No, I did not. I, I really didn't. But this thing, this robot came pretty close so it's pretty amazing that 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 is happening you know wow i'm sure it fools a lot of people i am very sure it does too and yeah i i don't know whether i have an a moral objection to that to them i have a moral objection to it lying Mm, you think it should you know if i ask are you a robot it should have to say yes i don't know why wouldn't it because it was trying to get your money yeah, I guess so. But I mean, but I if, guess... the, if it's just so good that you never get to that point, then they're going to get your money. Sure. But if you ask outright. It should tell you. I don't, I don't know. know man. 
could say. What's the? I mean, it, what's the? What's the problem with it being a robot? Yeah, but I think that there's going to be a lot of really interesting, um, kind of, you know, issues that we have to face as a society around that kind of stuff over the next ten or twenty years. You know, like, sure. Let's say you have like a you know a phone sex line that's all robots. You know, do you have to like disclose that, or can you just take people's you know lonely people's money for for this robotic phone sex service? Right. I don't know. It's almost yeah. hotter that it's a robot. <laughs> maybe for you nick <laughs> yeah you know i i i think that's just that you know the the weird tip of the iceberg uh, i think that there yeah. is there are so many more implications around this kind of stuff um and it's definitely going to become a social issue you know one as i think self-driving cars dead. are probably going to be one of the tipping points you know yeah um but yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be unpleasant to be in that moment, but I'm very interested to see what comes out of it. We've seen a lot of uh, this sort of like, I feel like our generation, well, I mean, lots of people are, are living through this right now, but like we saw the advent of the internet mm-hmm. and the total takeover. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like cell phones, smartphones, yeah. uh, Netflix, Spotify. I don't know. There's just like, it seems like like progress is happening so fast in, in technology over the past, like, I don't know, 30 years. Yeah, 100%. And there's not enough, um, like we're still kind of learning where the rough edges are. You know, like over the last two years, it was pretty conclusively proven that um, Facebook was deliberately, like the the algorithm for what shows up in your feed on Facebook that algorithm was deliberately um, raising controversial topics to the top of people's feeds because it got more engagement. Right. You know, so if you, if you show a liberal, you know, some like conservative content, they're more likely to interact with it because they're, they're angry. So the algorithm had, you know, they didn't even necessarily have to get to that conclusion maliciously. All they have to do is a B test two different algorithms. Right. Just data driven yeah exactly you know and and the algorithm that that raises more controversial content does better so because they're a company that's optimizing for maximum engagement and maximum money of course they're gonna go with that um but that that causes problems you know yeah yeah does he pass the turing test who knows i don't know but you know that that kind of stuff really causes problems because it it helps spread information that isn't factual because oh, those yeah. are like the the controversial topics, right? And there's like there's a lot of places where people use it as their main news source. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, it really really becomes problematic. So yeah, I think that you know we're we're seeing all sorts of really interesting rough edges, and I don't I don't know how that stuff's going to get solved because over legislating everything is a bad idea under legislating everything is a bad idea you know we don't really know where the sweet spot is right right now i say aaron for president of canada <laughs> oh god that'd be such a stressful job I don't want <laughs> um well yeah i'm thoroughly scared now <laughs> scared for my children well, yeah, I, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty reasonable. That's pretty reasonable. I think you just, you have to encourage skepticism and 
trust in the scientific consensus, not not individuals, but the scientific consensus, because it's very indivi- it's very easy for individuals to be subverted or to have ulterior motives or uh, just to be, you know, mentally unwell. But uh, the the scientific consensus seems to be a good place to <laughs> align yourself with, you know. Yeah, that's sort of historically seems to be the case. Yeah, um, there's so many pitfalls in all of this, though. You know, how, how do you mean? Well, I mean, so you know, aligning yourself with the scientific consensus is, is great, but at one point, the scientific consensus, you know, amongst some circles, at least fairly large ones, they were that was that you know people of color were less intelligent than white people. Oh, like phrenology and shit like that. Yeah, you know, like that was like cutting edge science ish for uh, for a while there. I think you know, that, I, that, that they, I think that people knew that was pseudoscience, right? I don't know. I don't know. You know. Like bloodletting, I mean, but they like there's some there's some uh, credibility to that, <laughs> right? And that's that's the problem is that for there to be progress in science, you have to have some skepticism around the edges of science, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And so it, that's what I mean when when I say that there's pitfalls is that like you know so the, the cutting edge theories in physics like the grand unified theory and like string theory and and that kind of stuff. You know, a lot of it hasn't been proven. There's there's theories there. And then there are physicists that have belief in one direction or the other. So you kind of, you know, there are things that we know very well, and then there are things that we really don't. And unfortunately, some of the, the science around, you know, like social networks, you know, like what's what are the healthy ways to interact? What are the unhealthy ways to interact with? with that stuff we still don't necessarily know where you know what we should really be doing so skepticism and a willingness to learn i think is the the answer there like you have to be willing to change your mind when new better data comes right well yeah i think that's that i mean that's part of the scientific process like you can be a scientist and if you're proven wrong you just go okay great Moving on with my life. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Excellent. You know, that's good news, not necessarily bad news. Where it's like, if you start to fall into that trap of being like, no, I refuse your, uh, your, your evidence. Right. My, I like what? my idea the best. Then that's, yeah, yeah. That's not, that's not science. Well, and I guess part of the issue is too, you have to be okay with a certain amount of uncertainty. If you, if you want absolutes, you know, you know what they say? Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if you want absolute answers, they're kind of often not necessarily possible in in science. You know, um, because it's like we're ninety nine percent sure that it works this way, but we have some theories that explain these tiny little edge cases. You know, right. So yes, anyway, we're getting very philosophical today. Yeah, is this what people signed up for? I don't know. Tell us in the comments. <laughs> yeah. Tell us yay or nay. <laughs> um, we did have people write in with uh, some more goals, though, for this uh-huh. year, which is cool. awesome. So Chris Larson uh, wrote in and said that he his goal for this year is to finish building his homebrew CNC router so that he can make his own flat pack furniture. Oh, yeah. Cool. I think that sounds super cool. Um, it looks like he's building a big gantry style router. Um, yeah, that's dope. 
Sweet. Love it. Um, Would that be Patrick, like out of um, ply? Like plywood? I think so, yeah. Flat I mean, pack flat pack furniture is usually like uh, engineered woods. So, yeah, like MDF, plywood. Um, I don't think it would really be chipboard, but Ikea says differently. Cool. That's sweet. I like that. Yeah, idea. super cool. I like um, and furniture pack- in my spare time. <laughs> what, do you actually? Yeah, yeah. I just made a, I just finished up a coffee table. Oh, that's cool. You'll have to send me some photos so I can post it on the Insta. I did not make the legs because I needed to oh. get it done. I just made the top. So whatever. So you made it a top. Doesn't count. You made a flat bit of wood. I made a flat piece of wood. That's sometimes that's the hardest part. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> well, it's it's like I made it like I actually made it to be a, a kitchen table and I made this huge basically butcher block. Right. Um, so it's a, it was a big glue up. Um, oh, is it actually like end grain butcher block? It's not end grain. It's like, it's more like, um, strips of, of right. wood quartered, uh, the quarter sawn grain. Vert. I'm getting less impressed all the time. Nick. <sighs> well, you know, <laughs> you, you tell me not to work late. <laughs> I'm working on your own furniture isn't working late, but that doesn't count. <laughs> um, but anyways, moving on to the, I will send you a photo. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, and we had Patrick write in. He said that his goal is to get his CNC lathe conversion done. Um, he is converting a little machine shop 7350 lathe uh, to CNC uh, with a Centroid Acorn controller. Um, and that also sounds like it's going to be awesome. Very sweet. I, yeah, I really want to build a, a homebrew little uh, CNC gang lathe. Yeah, that'd be sick. I also yeah. want a lathe. Well, maybe I can make you one when I make my own one. All right. I, I want the second one. It'll be <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you definitely, with the same with the quench press, there's a, a couple of pieces where I was like reusing stock that I already had on hand, like bars of aluminum. Oh, it's and... just like got holes in it and shit already? No, no. But they were just like a couple of thousandths too narrow for me to clean up all the sides. So one side just has like saw marks on it. <laughs> nice. So I just assembled it so they're hidden. It's fine. Yeah. Good enough. Yeah. Um that's cool too though. The the lathe. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really cool project. I've seen a few um cool like CNC homebrew lathes. Um I'm very curious to see how this one works out. Um but lathes are fantastic cuz like you get a lot of capability out of even a very simple CNC lathe. Right. Um so yeah. Yeah, just like a, would it be three axis? Two axis, you know, it's like the, the Z and the X, I think, are the two, first two axes on a lathe. Would, is the uh, the turning not count? <laughs> no, usually not. Not unless you have a, a C axis where you can right. actually like servo control the spindle like, and then actually treat it as a, as a third axis. Um and I think usually that's only useful once you start getting like live tooling involved. Mm. Right. So, I mean, I guess you could do some interesting broaching stuff um, with a, with a C axis and no live tooling, but, but yeah, we'll see. I've been playing around with the idea of, I really want to make my own um, fasteners for my knife handles. Mm, that'd be nice. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I have a fantastic company that makes them right now. Um, USA Knife Maker in the in the states, um, they have like a machine shop that they work with closely for all of their machined parts, and they actually make my fasteners custom at a very oh, reasonable wow. price. Yeah, that's great, fantastic. Um, but it's really nice to have the freedom to just like change stuff in house, you know, and then you don't have to wait until you. Because I've been, I've been like facing this dilemma. I want to actually increase the thread size in my fasteners, which means I'd have to also increase the the barrel size on the on the the female side of it, mm-hmm. which means that I have to increase the size of the the holes in the tang of my knife. So, in order to make that transition, I'd have to like order different fasteners and then line up my production perfectly so that the last knife runs out just as I ran out of fasteners. Otherwise, I'm going to end up with scrap. You know, I guess it's easier to, it's cheaper to end up with scrap on the fastener side than it is on the knife side. But yeah, it just, it, I don't know. I, I, that, that frustrates me. I guess I should probably just like get kind of close and then throw out a hundred bucks worth of fasteners or something. Don't throw them out. Maybe you won't like it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, or maybe you need to hold on to some stock for if uh, customers down the line need, replacements i don't know if that actually would be a thing for you but no i'm not really but yeah i get where you're coming from um, yeah i mean what i'd really like to do is change um the material and the size so right now the fasteners um are tiny the the threads in them are really really small and they're really strong once they're installed but i break so many of them during the installation process oh okay well, then who cares if you have to throw some out? You're basically throwing them out anyways. Yeah, that's true. So I really want to change to 17.4 stainless, which is like much, much stronger than the 303 stainless that they're currently made of, and also increase the diameter a little bit. And that would take the yield strength of the fastener from 90 pounds, which is incredibly low. It's so easy to get to 90 pounds of, you know, with a with a screwdriver when you've got that, that really fine thread pitch, it's giving you so much mechanical advantage. Um, it would take it from 90 pounds to 900 pounds. Oh, wow. Which I don't think I'm going to be breaking those anytime soon. Right. So how did you yeah. land on that di- that thread before, like before when you originally designed it? Um, just from the outside diameter of the barrel. So it's like a one eighth outside diameter, which means of the nut, like the the female part of the fastener has to be a one eighth outside diameter, and that means you're very limited with the threads that'll fit in it. Right. Um, so it's basically the largest thread that would still give me enough strength in the walls of the female fastener. And why did you need it to be an eighth of an inch? Because uh, it's what I was using previously from my off the shelf supplier. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, it's I don't know. I sometimes I get caught up in my own head. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'd be better off just, you know, throwing out fifty bucks or or putting aside fifty bucks worth of fasteners then. You'll forget about it eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'll be cleaning out your shop or moving and being like, Oh, these mm-hmm. these old sons of bitches. Yeah. I've definitely got some fasteners around that are like that yeah. already. So, yeah, yeah. We we're sort of purging some stuff and be like, Oh, remember when we used to use these? Mm. That mm-hmm. was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> My, are you purging like tools or materials? Oh yeah. Like more materials, like random little. Yeah. Yeah. Screws or we, 
at one point we went in like this was like 10 years ago went to a the, there was this like neat little hardware store this really old hardware store off mm. of queen west and tim went in and they had like new old stock screws like these really nice button head flat drive screws wood screws right. quite small and so he just bought like all the old stock of it it was like right. i don't know there was like 10 boxes so like probably 10 10,000 or uh, a thousand screws rather right and uh we used them for a long time and then we found we could buy them new from mcmaster and they don't they're like shiny not <laughs> which right. suits our aesthetic better and right. so it's like we i don't have the heart to throw them out because they're cool but right are we ever going to use them again it's fine i always find it funny that we use them at all right yeah it's interesting how your standards shift over time right yeah well and you you sort of like can connect with other su- with suppliers and find that you know especially as a business it's kind of almost feels like we used to buy shit from like Spain hour. I guess a pers- private person could do that as well, but it's like this right. commercial supply company that, that supplies fasteners locally. Right. And yeah, I can't, I don't want to go back to remembering what it was like before the days of having a McMaster account. Yeah. Like, do you not remember like going to home Depot and like rummaging through the, sh- like the aisles or shelves there? And trying to yeah. find stuff yeah i do you know it sucked like having co- commercial like industrial suppliers is so nice well that's one of the reasons why you know i thought a couple of times about moving back to australia because i mean let's face it the weather is so much nicer but what are you talking about we're getting 25 centimeters of fluffy white powder tomorrow. Uh, yeah great and uh, my girlfriend and i have a road trip tomorrow so oh great timing great, great timing yeah um but yeah, Australia doesn't have McMaster. And to the best of my knowledge, there's not really anything equivalent. You know? I've also so heard it's hard to find machine tools out there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's easy to get a Haas, but there's like a real oh, uh, Australia tax on, on a Haas in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. I mean, we we ship guitars to Australia here and there and mm-hmm. import fees are not cheap. No. No, they are not. It's like it's in the 20, oh, 20, over twenty percent for sure. Yes, yeah, yeah. So if anyone listening to this, like if you're into you know making stuff or or whatever, and you don't have a McMaster account and you're in North America, get a McMaster account. It is amazing. Yeah, I yeah, always. I didn't know it. what I was missing out on. Actually, I did know what I was missing out on. That was part of the issue. Was I found McMaster. And I would like find all these amazing things on their website. And initially they wouldn't sell to me because they had a policy at the time that like you had to be a business in Canada to get shipments from McMaster. Oh, really? And you had to have like a business number and a business address and all that kind of stuff. And as far as I know, all of that's gone out the window now. You can just be a Canadian and and order from McMaster. Okay, sweet. But yeah, for a while I kept asking them every six months, like, can I get an account? And they'd be like, no. (laughs) <laughs> you know please i'm gonna spend tens of thousands of dollars <laughs> yeah seriously. trust me yeah yeah um yeah mcmaster suite i almost always have an inbox going or a uh, mm-hmm. a shopping cart going right now i have hacksaw blades remember when i said Ooh. i need a hacksaw mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. center locating punches for unthreaded holes press fit Ooh. bushings blow mm-hmm. guns 
and some threaded mm-hmm. air hose fittings and some hole liners. A hole liner? What the a hole liner? It's like an, an um, a locating bushing, basically. Oh, okay, gotcha. I, uh, one of the other suppliers that people listening to this podcast might actually really like if they don't know about it um, is automationdirect.com. Okay. Um, and know. yeah, so like for all the pneumatic fittings and stuff for the quench press build, um, they were like a quarter of the price or a fifth of the price of McMaster. Wow. Um, and they have a huge, like, so I bought air cylinders from them. I bought like push to connect air fittings, um, switches, like uh, pneumatic switches, all sorts of stuff from Automation Direct. They're very inexpensive and motors and all sorts of stuff. They're a really good supplier. Not as sweet a website, but yeah, cool. No, not as not as cool a website. The McMaster is, their game is on point in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Tools and testing. Okay, I'm gonna explore this. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, found another reasonably decent supplier. Cause like, so I was buying air hose. I was looking to go buy some air hoses. Right. Um, and they're just so expensive for McMaster. Right. And I've bought them before, but I just couldn't couldn't do it. It was like three times the price. Right. Plus the conversion. Yeah, Automation so. Direct might be actually be a good source for that. I don't know whether they just sell like um, air hoses, but I feel like they probably do. Yeah, I'll check it out. I already had, ended up ordering them from uh, Princess Auto. Is that a Canadian <laughs> thing? Is Princess Auto a Canadian thing? I feel Princess like it's... Auto is a Canadian thing. It's the Canadian version of Harbor Freight. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think it's the funniest name, Princess Auto, for such like a kind of what would probably be more considered a masculine sort of industry right i think it was like named after the street it used to be on or something oh okay i just yeah yeah, i don't know i mean i think it's great yeah yeah they are you know honestly if you're buying like stuff that's going to be made in china anyway then uh, yeah princess order or harbor freight like you have to be a bit careful with what stuff you choose um i know that i heard recently that um do you know what a jack stand is like to put under your car when you're sure. working on it. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you lift it That's up exactly on a jack. That's exactly the kind of thing you would buy from Princess Auto. Yeah. Except uh, Harbor Freight recently had a recall on their jack stands because some of them were collapsing unexpectedly oh. under load. Oh, no. That's not what you want. No. That, that's one of those things I would I would have a very hard time buying that cheap, you know? Yeah. But there's so many hobbyists out there who probably work on their own cars that. Yeah. You just trust, you know? Yeah, well, yes, I, I hope I'm no buying, one was too badly injured in that. Yeah, who found that problem out? I'm buying air hoses, which they say they say they're rated for 300 PSI. Mm-hmm. I have to just trust that. But that would suck if one sort of just failed. Yeah, but it's not going to, like, fail and slice your head off or something. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Um, but I could leak air for an entire weekend. That would suck. Yeah, we at um, the old workshop that you and I shared, we uh, cooked a compressor that way. Oh, really? I don't remember that. Yeah, do you remember that? I had a sandblasting cabinet there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, was that the, the King Industrial? Some some piece King of shit Canada compressor. No, it, the the that compressor was a Cobalt brand oh, compressor or okay. something. 
Mm-hmm. Even it was like a Home Depot brand, you know, it was a yeah, yeah. it was a real piece of shit. But um the air hose that went to the sandblasting cabinet was just like done on with a a hose clamp and it popped off. Uh-huh. And then the compressor was just trying to keep up with this open hose. And <laughs> apparently the like the lady lived in in the apartment above us called the owner of the workshop and was like there's like some horrible squealing noise coming from from the workshop and he went there and the compressor was just like running and seized you know, smelt hot it was still running dude oh, wow. it was still running i spent because those things about, are not designed to do 100 duty cycle no and especially not for like the six or eight hours that it had been doing it you know i i spent about I don't know, a couple of hours basically cleaning cheese out of this machine. It had it had managed to like polymerize all of its oil in the crankcase everywhere. The the oil had literally turned to like like miracle whip. (laughs) (laughs) It was it was horrible. And all of the air hoses, all of the lines, everything was full of this shit. Oh my god. I spent so long cleaning that crap out. But you know what? I put fresh oil in it and started it up again, and that thing ran until we left. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, Man, piston compressors are kind of hard to like really kill. So much sketchy shit, shit at that shop. I killed mine. <laughs> what? Your, your piston, the red one? Well, red I, it's been fixed. So I, it was before um, it was leaking oil, and I, I was like, where the fuck is this oil coming from? Oh. Um, I had had it serviced. Um, and, uh, what was it? What was it? Cause I, it was, yeah. So it was, sorry, it was leaking oil. So I had it serviced and the guy was like, oh yeah, I fixed it. It was like coming out of the, the, the site. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then he just, while he was there, he replaced the oil. But when he, re- when he, uh, put the nut back in to the, the, the kit, like, uh, where the, you, you pour the oil in, it's yep. all, it's all like a cast like iron oh and he cracked it yeah he he, uh maybe put too many wraps of um the uh what thread tape thread thread on it or 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 went in too too hard on it he would have just had to do it up too high too hard yeah yeah. and it uh yeah and then i was like started leaking more oil i was like what the fuck i just had this serviced so (laughs) he did not take responsibility for it though yeah Ugh. But that was not I where the that. leak was coming from before. So Right. Yeah, I actually, I also created a leak. So Nick and I bought matching compressors, which is very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, I also created a leak in the oil sight glass on that compressor because I was like, oh, this thing's dirty. I'll clean it. So I unthreaded it and dropped it in a, uh, a cup full of acetone. And yeah, it turns out it's polycarbonate. It really <laughs> did not like being an That's acetone. That's awesome. You yeah. idiot. <laughs> I know. I know. You thought so, it was yeah, glass? It was, I did think it was glass, yeah. And it cracked It cracked down the middle. Luckily, the, the crankcase on a compressor isn't really supposed to be under pressure. Right. Um, so it, it kind of like... You know, one drip an hour or something. It was fine. I just, I just left it. That's funny. I sold it to a guy for like six hundred bucks. He knew, you know, all the the potential issues with it. That, I mean, that was really the only potential issue with it. Yeah, um, mine, mine so. now that I, it was so. Luckily, it was the the that it was just a cover that cracked, like where that. Oh, okay. 
oil the, or the yeah with the oil oil fill port yeah yep. oil yep. fill port thank you yeah i could see i could he's struggling a little bit <laughs> yeah uh i don't have my you know uh compressor uh terminology dialed do you my, have your terminology terminology dialed <laughs> no <laughs> no i talk slow Okay, you're you're fine. That's why these you fucking I, podcasts last so long? No, you. I I think you uh, you talk just fine. I think your your brain's just a bit slow. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> well, your face is a little slow. Oh, so you were able to just get a replacement cover, and then it yeah. was fine. Yeah, exactly. Nice. So, yeah. mine's, and mine's you still shape. have that? Yeah, I do. I should probably run it. Mm. You know what? The nice thing about a piston compressor is you don't really need to run them. Like if they're just sitting there, as long as they're not like, you know, rusting inside the ball because they've got a bunch of water in them or something, there's no real harm in just letting them sit. Okay. Well, at least as far as I know. I thought it was kind of like running, you know, you could turn your car on every once in a while. Well, I mean, the reason that you do that with a car is because there's like a bunch of the parts of the car that are kind of open to the air, like in through the exhaust. Um, You know, you've got like the, the insides of the valves and that kind of stuff that are exposed to like atmospheric air. So you want to like turn stuff over, just keep keep an oil film on everything and blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't know. I, with the air compressor, I don't know if I'd be that worried. I Dude, I've seen compressors that are like literally 100 years old, <laughs> like start up <laughs> and run, you know. So, well, I th- yeah. I'm, you know, I th- I'm thinking about selling it just because it's taking mm. up space and it's like, you know, I could get 600 bucks for it for sure. It's a nice yep. compressor. Um they're three phase, right? Are they single phase? Single phase. Okay, sweet. That makes it a lot easier to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I haven't used it. And my you know, screw compressor, knock on wood, is uh, is performing admirably. Right. Well, let me know if you do decide to sell it. I might uh, take it off your hands. Hilarious. Why? Um, well, because if I end up moving outside oh. of the city and I don't have three phase, my compressor right now is 600 volt three phase. It's oh, like wow. the hardest thing to, to adapt. Cool. Well, you know? I'll trade you, um, your Kaiser for my, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> no, <laughs> what? You only paid 600 bucks for that thing. Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I want to keep it. I just, I, you know, I know I will get it like a phase converter and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's just not going to be straight away. So it would be nice to have a compressor that, you know, is like 600 bucks for, for that compressor that you have is very reasonable. Um, well, maybe I'll charge 750. So yeah. yeah. All right. I'm going to keep talking wanna, myself to a higher price on it. Yeah. Well, I want to make sure it goes to a good home. So I'm going to try to price you out of it. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. One of the things, uh, so Scott Hoadley actually sent us uh, an awesome list of things to think about when building a shop. And I don't think we're going to have uh, enough time to go into that today. I think building a shop might be a topic for next week, but you know, it, honestly, uh, his, part of his list can probably be summed up by power, 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 mm. you know, like electrical power in a, a home shop is in a home shop when you're trying to install industrial equipment is probably the most difficult thing. Yeah. You know? I mean, even if you have a, a commercial space, it's something you need to think about. Yeah. And so. it can be very expensive. I spent, I think I spent about six grand getting the electrical set up in my current shop. Yeah. Um, you know, because very few units in the building had three phase, very few units in the building had 600 volt three phase. Right. 
Um, so I ended up having to get a new um, service installed in my unit, disconnect for a 600 volt three phase, a panel, a transformer. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets pricey real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, electrical is just always a, anytime you're buying new equipment, it's yes. something to consider. Like we, we had to have a sub panel put in when we got, I don't even, was it, it was before the scenes, the Haas. I forget right. what, what was, what like required it, but that terrifying uh, planer that you had might be the joint. Yeah. It might've been the jointer. The jointer is like, I think it's 60 amps. Is that insane? That's a lot. It it takes a huge amount of power to to fire it up, and then it runs off of nothing. (laughs) Right. But it's 600 volt. Yeah, Uh, 600 volt, 60 amp. That's that's doesn't make sense, right? That's like 36 kilowatts. That's a lot of. Okay, maybe it's 30 amp. I can't. It's been a while. Anyways, I remember they were shocked. Right. They almost didn't believe the motor rate reading, like what the, the the motor plate said. Right. Um, yeah, it might have like a 20 horsepower motor or something in it. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's something we'll talk about next week for sure. Like uh, the the challenges in, involved in setting your own shop up um, are, are many. Many, many. Yeah. But yeah. you can do it. I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not. Are you talking about I'm a not, home shop or any shop? Because I set up shop, shop and I, I'm I'm not that well versed in any of this bullshit. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. But I mean, trying to do it on a kind of a reasonable budget is harder. Um, you know, if you have to get a Sparky in for every little thing, then it's it gets expensive really quick. It's Australian for electrician, by the way. Yes, yes, it is. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting actually that off grid might actually. Well, like, you know, solar and having your own battery system and all that kind of stuff might in the near term actually make having a sh- home shop easier because um, you're supplying you can, the power. Yeah, you mm-hmm. can choose whether you want three phase inverters or split phase hybrid inverters, you know, like. Um, so, yeah, supplying like industrial level three phase power off of, a, you know, kind of a, a solar system might actually be in some cases easier and less expensive than getting three phase to your property. That would be very cool if that was the case. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've seen some ridiculous numbers for, you know, people asking what the price is to get three phase and the, the power company's like, well, you're, you know, the nearest six, the nearest three phase is like six poles away and we'd have to trench across your property. So it's like 36 grand to yeah. get three phase, you know, Fuck. Um, actually one of my friends, owns uh i think he listens to the podcast even so hello jack um he has a a wood shop a pretty big one actually cnc machines all that kind of stuff set up on a farm outside of ontario outside of toronto i should say and the simplest way for him to get three phase is that now he just runs a diesel generator all the time wow crazy um because any other option was just way too expensive for him. So yeah, to, to get three phase, he literally runs a diesel gen set. Um, and yeah, the other option to that could be a, a big enough solar installation, you know, to, to supply that power. Yeah. Well, that'd be cool. So yeah, maybe I should talk to him about that. He might not have thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, 
Before we go, though, we're getting close to the end of our time with all of you. But before we go, we should talk about space for a minute, Nick, because there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment. And we haven't had space news in a couple of weeks. There's more stars in the sky than there are grains of sand on the Earth. Done. You know what? You say that as a joke, but I had one of those like, oh, shit moments the other day that was kind of related to that. Have you ever seen, you know, the Hubble telescope, right? The mm-hmm. you know, telescope in orbit. Heard of it. Have you ever seen the Hubble deep field images? Yeah. Yeah, where they like yeah. picked one point in the sky and zoomed in on it. Yeah. So basically they picked the darkest point in the sky that they could find. Mm-hmm. And then they basically just took, they zoomed in on it and took photos of the same area, you know, for like a, a couple of weeks and added all the photos together to, to you know, get the tiny amount of light. And it's just full of galaxies. Yeah. Like this tiny, tiny little fraction. Like, you you know, you could like hold a pinhead at arm's length and cover this fraction of the sky, you know, know, looking up in the sky. And it's full of thousands of galaxies and stars. And there's there's stuff beyond that that they can't even see. Because um, basically when a star or a galaxy is moving away from us, its light gets redshifted. The, the frequency of the light gets, you know, we perceive it at the frequency as being longer. And Hubble isn't very good at seeing infrared light. So one of the really cool things about, um, I'm sure most people have heard about the James Webb Space Telescope, which yeah. is the super fancy telescope that humans, it was an international effort, so we can say humans, humanity just launched. Um, that telescope is specifically designed to look in the deep infrared spectrum. And so it's going to be able to see like that, that image that Hubble took the deep field Hubble image, it's going to be able to see a whole other set of stars and galaxies behind those ones. So sick in infrared. And it just, you know, you, I know you said it as a joke and I know that I'm making this very serious, (laughs) but it blows my fucking mind that you can take that tiny, tiny little patch of the sky. And then it's full of like, so many fucking stars you know it's insane to me that the universe is that huge i think that i had one of those moments where i was like oh shit mind blown because i just i just realized yeah well i just realized how big the fucking galaxy is or you know the universe like it's it's crazy it is it is and when you think about it too when you know when people say like with all of these planets there has to be other life out there like i don't see how they could that could be wrong yeah i think it's probably true yeah, so I just I hope they're friendly, and I hope we meet them before I die. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, no, that yeah, would be, be dope. Yeah, I'd like to know. I don't want to yeah. maybe meet them. <laughs> well, see. well, have you have you looked at any of the tech? I was going to talk about SpaceX stuff, but fuck that for a minute. Have you looked at any of the tech around the James Webb Space Telescope? No. Like you, okay. I've listened to some stuff about it. This thing is amazing. It it is ridiculous how cool this thing is. You know, like the the mirror, the main mirror, like um, that that forms the kind of uh, initial optical element in this telescope, is made up of eighteen separate beryllium mirrors that are coated in gold, because gold is a really excellent reflector for infrared. So they had to make 18 of these fucking, and the reason they used beryllium is because it's like really, really stable and because it damps vibration really well. So it's. What is um, beryllium? When, uh, it's a metal. Of, okay. But what, what's, yeah. what are its properties? Like what, what, what kind of metal? What would it be close to? 
I, I have no idea, dude, because beryllium doesn't get used for anything. Like, it's super expensive. I don't think it has, like, a ton of practical uses. My does, understanding um, is it's... Does Titan it, machine it? <laughs> Next to maybe. Inconel and Monel. Boom. <laughs> maybe. I don't, I don't know. The, the stuff is super cool, though. Like, it's... I'm not making fun of Titan. I like him. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched too much of his stuff, actually. That's great. Um... Yeah, you know, so and all of these mirrors, each each individual mirror has um, nine actuators on the back of it that are able to move the mirror a total of I think it's about 25 millimeters in any direction. It has it's using what's called a Stuart platform, which is like um like one of those Delta um, pick and place machines. I'm sure you've seen those. Right. Yeah. yeah. Those are. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like that, except a really stubby short one on the back of these mirrors. And there's nine actuators. And they can move about 25 millimeters in any direction. But then the actuators have um, about, it's like eight nanometers of precision. So there's like a rough positioning mode and then a fine positioning mode. And they can switch between the two of them. And then it can hold that position with no power, no heat output. Um, Interesting. How does it do that? Is it like a break? Um, no, it's just like intrinsic to the way that the design works. It's it's actually the the it's it's super interesting. It's one motor, one stepper motor that uh, has its output split into two mechanisms that are only joined by kind of like a clutch. So if you rotate it um, more than a full revolution in one direction, it starts to engage the rough um, positioning mechanism, and then if you rotate backward by half a, a rotation it disengages and then you're only connected to the fine um positioning mechanism and the fine positioning mechanism is actually a flexure so it's it's um, a mechanism that works it's made it all out of one piece and then it actually works by flexing hmm. um and they can like they can literally achieve sub micron precision in in the positioning of this thing because of the the way it's designed um and then they can actually individually adjust the curvature of each mirror as well so, so is it flexible the mirror no it's it's like very stiff and solid but they're able to flex it you know the, the mechanism has enough strength to flex it just a little bit wow. to correct for any issues that you know or manufacturing issues that might come up um that is kick-ass it is super cool. And so because it has to see in infrared, the the sensors themselves have to be really, really cold because you're basically talking about like, you know, seeing heat. Right. Like it's so far down in the in the the light spectrum. It has very little energy, those photons. So you have to be really, really cold to be able to detect when those photons hit the sensor. And you could do that by actively refrigerating the thing, but then it would take a ton of energy. So what they did instead is they basically um, insulated the shit out of it. So the, the backside of the telescope is a series of um, very thin capton membranes. Um, so captons like a type of plastic. And those membranes have been metallized, like um, basically had like a really thin layer of reflective. I think right. it's usually aluminum put on them and then there are layers of these and basically they they reflect away all of the heat from the sun 
And then the vacuum in between each layer acts as an insulator as well. And it works so well that the shadow side of that insulator gets to uh, like minus 260 degrees Celsius. It's like cold enough to to produce liquid helium, wow. <laughs> you know, and there's no power input required for that because they've basically just built like the world's most efficient sunshade. <laughs> and it is um, in space, which is cold, right? And it's in space. Uh, well, space isn't... It depends where you are, Nick. If you're in the shadow of something, then it's cold. But if you're near the sun, then it's hot. You know, of course, of course. Of course. Um, so yeah, the, honestly, there's a whole bunch of really interesting videos on YouTube about the the James Webb Space Telescope. Um, there's a channel called Breaking Taps, um, where it's just a guy that he builds lots of really interesting mechanisms and so on. And he actually built a 3D printed model of the actuator that run that. Um, controls the mirrors on the the james webb space telescope cool and it's a fascinating mechanism i've i've i can't say i've ever seen anything quite like it um so yeah if, if you're interested you should look up that at his uh, again his youtube channel is called breaking taps um yeah just super cool it i mean i can totally see why it costs 10 billion dollars whoa okay yeah <laughs> well like anything they're basically building the prototype and then sending it to space you know i'm sure if they had to build another one it'd cost like sure a 50th of yeah, that yeah. <laughs> think about all this stuff though though they, they have you know I mean, nasa's famous for inventing things mm-hmm. um trying to solve problems uh well, them, one of the really cool things about so like that, right. I mean, all the all that stuff you just talked about sounds like it would be quite useful in in industry. Like I can like right. uh, that the the braking power without the 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 brake. Like could they now use that in CNCs and like five axis rotary tables I don't and shit like that? Think so it's too much it's load. A, it's a just a different set of requirements. You know, like this, this thing had to be able to position without producing any heat okay. to hold its position. You so know, not, I don't think it, I don't, it's not terribly I'm fast. Sure there's, there's probably <laughs> some, some application that somebody could use that in. Yeah. Other telescopes and stuff for sure. True. Um, it's always you know, like one of the other, there's, aren't there like, there's like lots of examples though of like just generic stuff that we have in our daily lives that basically NASA invented to solve some problem. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, and it, so um, there is one super cool, really weird physical principle that's actually used in the James Webb Space Telescope that I think is going to become more common. Um, so they do use that that sunshade to to cool the main mechanism down, but then they also have to like super chill the sensor. Um, and to do that, they actually use a thermoacoustic refrigerator. <laughs> so it uses like um. My understanding, at least, is that it uses like a, a pressure wave going back and forth within a tube to move thermal energy. Oh, cool. Um, and they had to do it this way because any moving parts would vibrate the telescope too much right. uh, because, you know, it's focusing on a, a star that's like, you know, a thousand light years away or, or some, sure, some crazy any number. Sure, like jiggle or... Something. Yeah, would make it completely useless. So they yeah. have to build this refrigeration system that ha- produces no vibration, like full stop. That's you know? pretty sweet. So it's an and it's non-mechanical, so nothing to break down. Yeah, exactly. Or is there a mechanical element? How do they? How does it? 
I don't know, man. I, I, I'd have to read more about it. I, I just kind of, you know, read about it in passing. And I think it's one of those things where you'd have to be like, really look at it to understand it, you know? Um, All right. Yeah. Well, there's your homework. Very cool stuff. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll go and read. I think. But yes, I, the other thing about this, that telescope is that it's an international effort. You know, it wasn't just NASA. It was, it was so many countries spent money and time working on this on this project. $10 billion between friends. It's not that bad. Yeah, there you go. So, yes, that would, there we go. We get to end our episode on a high note. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't read all of the weird, cool stuff about the James Webb Space Telescope, I highly recommend it. It's, it's one of the craziest bits of engineering I have ever seen in my entire life, if not the craziest. When are we going to see some images? Um, they did actually publish the first image that came out of it the other day, but they haven't finished aligning the mirrors yet. So the first image is actually like, uh, the unaligned image. So they, they've taken a photo of a star, but you actually get like 18, <laughs> 18 images. Of the star. Oh, that's still cool. I'd like to see that. Yeah. Um, I will say, I don't think the, the images coming from the James Webb Space Telescope aren't going to be as amazing as the ones that came from Hubble. Because for one thing, they're not in a spectrum that we naturally see with our eyes. So they're going to have to add false coloration to them to make them, you know, understandable to us. Okay. The other issue is that as you go lower in the, the spectrum of light, um, you lose resolution. So even though the James Webb Space Telescope is so much bigger than Hubble, and usually uh, when you're talking about telescopes, the larger they are, the more resolution they have because it's looking at a lower wavelength, you're losing more resolution than you gain. So it's going to be a super useful scientific instrument because they'll be able to, you know, look at various things that they're interested in, but I'm not sure that it's going to create images with the same like punch that the Hubble did. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. I don't know exactly what kind of image processing they're going to be able to do. Maybe they'll be able to do like, crazy super resolution stuff i bet you um, they'll do something to to spice it up for the average person i yeah i hope so it's it's gonna be very very interesting to see what comes out of it but honestly just just go have a, 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 a look at like photos of the thing itself it, it's one of the craziest things that humans have ever made you know so it looks that along with sick. like yeah it does it's all it's all gold it's blinged out yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> so anyway that's everyone's homework go go look at this james webb space telescope uh yeah send us send us more of your goals we love hearing them we've got uh some more stuff to cover next week we're going to talk about building workshops next week which is gonna be fun sweet all right and uh we'll speak to you all again in two weeks all right looking forward to it bye everyone peace As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.